Hi folks, this is Jack Spirico with another edition of the Survival Podcast. As always, one man's view of the changing world, the changing times, and the things that we can all do to live a better life. If times get tough, or even if they don't. Coming to you once again from Hot Springs Village, Arkansas, high atop the Highway 7 Ridge Line from TSPN. That's the Survival Podcast Network headquarters. Today is Wednesday, February 22, 2012, and I get another cool show for you today. You know, I do the listener feedback shows on Monday, and sometimes I get something like over and over and over and over and over and over and over again. It's like four million people send it to me, and I'm like, I gotta talk about it. Usually it's something that fits in good for one of those shows. Occasionally, I get something like over and over and over again、uh, from a bunch of people that go, you gotta see this, you gotta look at this. And I go, that could make an entire show. Such is the case today. There was a great post at, on the art of manliness, which is a great blog. In fact, I'm actually good friends with a good friend of the owner of that blog, which is kind of weird because that good friend in between us is right here in Hot Springs. Now, he's a cool, cool guy and,、uh, we hang out once in a while and drink beer. So when it came in, it's like all this you know, stuff associated with it, but it is eight Personal finance lessons from Benjamin Franklin. And,、uh, I've been a student of a lot of our founders, but never really Franklin. I always admired him, but I never really read his works or anything like that, which is probably dumb of me. Uh, but it's amazing to me how much his philosophy and the philosophy we have here at TSP is the same. I'm not going to read the post to you today. I'm just going to take the eight points and give you my own thoughts on them. I haven't even read the post. I just read the eight points and thought this is a great outline for a show. And hey, Benjamin Franklin wrote it so that I could do it, you know, over 220 years ago now, I guess. So that's what today's show is going to be. Eight personal finance lessons. And I'm going to call it actually eight lessons for modern survivalists from Benjamin Franklin because all of this stuff applies to us today. And I think it'll be fun to realize that when I say all we're doing here, folks, is going back to the wisdom of our ancestors. How true that really is. Before we get to those eight lessons, though, let's go ahead and take care of our sponsors. They do a lot to help take care of you. Sponsor of the day, number one today, Sawtooth Tactical. Hey, have you ever wondered why it's called Sawtooth Tactical?、Uh, that's because the company itself is located in Idaho, right near the Sawtooth Wilderness. It's run by a veteran, and you get what you'd expect from a veteran. Perfect service every time. And if anything goes wrong, then he's going to step up and make it right. That's what I expect out of all my sponsors. Now, what are you going to get there? All the stuff to live that tactical side of life, right? Magpul magazines, SOE tactical gear, you name it, cool stuff. Check out the titanium tactical spork. That thing is Really, really, really freaking cool.、Uh, again, Sawtooth Tactical.、Uh, next up today, ready-made resources. Hey, what more can you ask for from a company for them to say, this is our name, this is what we do, and then we do it. That's what they do. All the resources you need, ready-made, ready to go on their website, point, click, buy, send to your house. Great pricing, great service. That's what ready-made resources is all about. And I do mean all the resources. Solar, check. Tactical check. Long-term food storage check. 12-volt、uh, products to work with your wind and solar check. Gardening check. Hunting check. You, you get the point? Whatever you can think of that you need as a prepper. Firearms check. You gotta worry about having an、F、FFL to have it shipped to or what have you if you're out of state. But they even have that. All you need, ready to go, ready-made resources. Check them out today. Remember, best way to make sure you're dealing with our sponsors, the ones mentioned today and the other sponsors that we recognize on the show, go to the survivalpodcast.com and click on their banners in the right-hand margin. That way you know you're dealing with a true sponsor versus a cheap imitator. All right, next up, remember you can connect with me on Facebook, YouTube, and Twitter. I've been doing a lot of cool things with the Facebook fan page recently, and I will continue to do more, specifically when I am up at the、uh, Liberty Forum in New Hampshire. I'll be tweeting and Facebooking from there.、Uh, that should be a really cool、uh, experience. I hope to see some of you guys there. I keep getting asked about kind of like a meetup. I'm not going to do an official meetup. My understanding is the hotel where the Liberty Forum is has a really nice bar. And what we'll do is we'll just hang out there each evening.、Uh, that way we don't have to drive anywhere. We don't have to do anything really, you know, extravagant. You'll be able to meet not just me, but other speakers. I'm sure we'll be hanging out there as well. And I'll make myself as extremely accessible as accessible as possible. 
Uh, next up, remember, uh, the way that we uh, really pay the bills around here is with the Member Support Brigade. And if you like the show and you think it's worth 20 cents an episode, and that's what it comes out, actually it comes out to 18.3 cents an episode, if you factor it out over a year, consider joining the Member Support Brigade at 50 bucks a year. In return for that, you'll get over $150 worth of free ebooks on day one. You'll get discounts to over 30 vendors, including our new real, I'm really excited about the one for Paladin Press, guys. 15% off Paladin Press. Uh, that's a huge thing. There's all kinds of great discounts available to you, to you in the MSB. And, again, you're really supporting the show. Military, law enforcement, active duty, prior service, email me before you join. Give me the details of your service, basically who you are, where you were, and what you did. And uh, I'll tell you what, I will uh, send you a special discount code that basically says, hey, thank you for your service, and here's a discount uh, that will... Uh, that will give you a discount off not just your first year or first month, but it'll give you a discount off all your recurring membership as well. Peace Corps guys, you qualify for that too. Anyway, with that, I've got things wrapped up. Um, again, I haven't actually read the article, and there's a reason. You would think when this many people send me an article like this, I would read it, and I was going to. I was going to read it, and then I realized to myself, Jack, if you read this article with the way you take in information, even if you don't read it, uh, back to people, you'll basically regurgitate the article. That's part of how I'm able to do this. I do not have what they call a photographic or identic memory, but I'm bordering on it. I have more of a verbal recall uh, memory. And what I mean by that is if I hear something, I'm damn well going to remember it. And when I read it, as insane as this sounds, it's almost like there's a little voice in my head, like I hear myself reading it as though aloud, and I can recall it based on kind of that audio component. And I can't explain that, but it's true. And it's how I can talk about 500 different things in one year and actually sound like I know what I'm talking about because I just suck this information in and regurgitate it to you. And then I take the practical experiences and the life experiences and the experiences of my guests and I add it all together. But when I looked at this and I just saw the eight points, I thought to myself, I don't actually want that to happen here. I actually want to come to you guys with this and I want to give you this information, you know, based on my worldview, my long-term view, everything that I brought to the Survival Podcast when I founded it, and everything that I've learned over four years almost now of doing it. And then it would be fun to go back and see where I'm in or out of sync with Ben. Uh, I guess I should probably call Uncle Ben, man. I think that uh, Franklin is one of the most fascinating individuals in history. I've just spent more of my time reading the works of people like Jefferson and I guess that's because of my libertarian philosophy. He kind of seems like the father of libertarianism in America to me. Anyway, so let's get right to it. The very first one is going to sound very much like a core tenet that I talk about here under all the time. Understand the true value of things. And for me, I don't know. I haven't read the article yet, so I don't know where Franklin went with this. But to me, that's so much bigger than don't throw something away just because it's broken, you might be able to fix it. It's how many things can that item do for you. We we had Jacob Long Fisker on, and he was talking about how something as simple as a box can become a footrest and a storage device, and or maybe could be used as a as a as a hide house for your cat instead of spending eighty bucks to buy one that's just a box with carpet uh, glued to it from uh, a pet store. And how one little simple thing can perform multiple functions, and in doing so, you reduce your total cost. That definitely, I think, applies here. But my other view with understand the true value of things is understanding the value of things like land. So I talk all the time about owning land and land ownership and that being true wealth. It's one of my core tenets. Owning land is true wealth. And some people want to object to it and say, well, the government could take it away with him in a domain. Well, you could have a, a, a sack of gold in your hand and you would tell me it's true wealth and I could come over and beat you in the face with an aluminum bat and take it away from you. Uh, that just means that somebody was capable of stealing it. That doesn't mean it wasn't true wealth to begin with, if that makes sense. So to me, land ownership is wealth for a variety of reasons. One, as much as we hear about eminent domain, uh, for every one person that ever has to worry about it in their entire life, there's probably half a million that don't even know what it means and never will. And I'm talking about you know property owners out of that that statistic. So we can also worry about things like being run over by a truck, but it's more important that we focus on what's most likely to happen. Two, we can do things to minimize that. I'm not really worried about imminent domain in the middle of the Washita Mountains. I just don't think that any government really wants to mess with it. Uh, so our location can help deal with that as well. Um, but to me, land ownership is is something we don't really understand the true value of anymore. 
uh, back in the days of Ben, right, you would get some land and you would plow it up and you would feed yourself from it. And what you didn't eat, you would sell. And that was true, true value, true ownership. And I've talked about this before too. How many people came to this country because you simply could do that? It was possible to own land and keep the production. Do you understand that when these guys were here trying to help this country get off the ground and become a nation instead of a, col a group of colonies, that at that time, if you still lived in England or much of Europe and you were a farmer, uh, you didn't own your land. The lord or the king or the prince or the duke or some other nobleman would had the privilege of land ownership and the right to personal property didn't exist in much of the world for the common man. So you farmed the Lord's land, and in return, you got some of the production and he got the other. I know it sounds like taxation, but it's much more insidious. Because at least with taxation, you only give up the gain. Uh, in, in something like this, the Lord would easily say, well, you know, there's 15 acres that you're overseeing with your horse and your plow. I expect X bushels of wheat. And if you only got that much, you didn't get anything. That's how it works. So it could be a 100% tax, a 50% tax. It didn't matter because you didn't own the land. You didn't own the property. You were expected to produce. It was like a piecework arrangement. For every bushel you produce, you get a, a, a tenth of a bushel. Uh, but it wasn't even that clean. So land ownership is a huge thing here. But it's also like when I look around today and I see how much stuff we throw away, I think if the shit really hit the fan, the big-time shit hit the fan, The, the, the first industry that would, would become almost meaningless is waste disposal. There, there, there wouldn't be styrofoam and plastic and plastic wrap and foil and all that crap wrapping everything up anymore. Wouldn't have the resources to do that. And anything that was left over, we would be trying to figure out what to do with it. I mean, I look at it from a basic standpoint of when I look back to my grandparents, right? When we used to get milk in the, uh, the, the paper cartons. And those never got thrown away. You know what we would do with those? My grandmother would rinse them out real good and put them aside. And when we would go fishing, and we would catch tons and tons of fish and fillet them, and there was more than we were going to be able to eat anytime soon, she would stuff them in there and fill it with water and basically freeze them in a block of ice, and they would never freeze or burn that way. Now, that's the value of something that everybody throws away today. Uh, if we got a something came in a jar... I mean, we had so many extra freaking jars. I'm like, we can't use that for canning, you know. And it was like we put screws and nuts and bolts. And eventually you had to a little point where you have more of them than you possibly need. And even someone like my grandmother would start to throw some away. But my God, a ton of them were saved first. And today we throw away everything. Something doesn't work, we throw it away. And, and my belief is that the value of things is not just holding on to them. But what we do with them when their, their usefulness is done for us. How many people throw away clothing while people go cold in the streets? If you understood the value of your clothing, you would never throw it away. You would take it to a mission or you would take it to, uh, what do you call it, Salvation Army or you would take it to uh, the, the thrift store. I can't think of right now. Um, whatever it is. You guys know what I'm talking about. There's like a thrift store that's for people that, uh, that, that, are, that are kind of down on their luck where they can go buy secondhand stuff. Uh, Goodwill. Uh, you would you would never throw away clothing if you understood the value that it had. You wouldn't throw away a pair of shoes that you considered shot as long as they still covered your feet if you knew what it was like to go one day in the cold without shoes to put on your feet. You would take even your stinky old shoes to places like this because you would know that as, as much as you think they're not useful anymore, somebody else would. Let me tell you, a Confederate soldier marching in the mud and the rock and the cold in the Civil War would have loved to have the shoes that everybody throws away today. That's not one statement one way or the other on the South. I'm just saying there were a lot more Confederate soldiers with that. Oh, let's take it to Valley Forge. How many people in Valley Forge, Washington's winter, Washington's moment, could he hold the forces together? How many of them would have liked to have the shoe or the shirt that you throw away? See, understanding the value of things is so much deeper than what they can do for us. It's also understanding what they can do for others. So that instead, we, instead of contributing to a waste stream, we contribute to a resource stream. Sounds like permaculture, does it, man? This Ben guy was pretty switched on. Let's move on to the next one because I could probably do the whole show on that one. 
Two, be self-sufficient. Oh, that kind of really just says it by, I mean, how can you look at being self-sufficient and, and not say that's a survival or a modern survival topic? Certainly, the more self-sufficient you can be, the better. Remember always what the difference between self-sufficiency and self-reliance is. Self-reliance means that you have stuff stored up to get by when systems fail long enough for the systems to come back. A flashlight with batteries that will last for 10 hours gives you 10 hours of self-reliance while there's no other source of light. Self-sufficiency is the ability to exist without the systems indefinitely, and we would measure that by percentage. So if you grow 20% of your own food, That's not you can survive 20% of a year because you don't get all 20% at one time. That means that you are 20% self-sufficient for food. That 20% of your food budget can now go to other things. Remember, this is actually titled um, Eight Personal Finance Lessons. So Ben was saying that being self-sufficient is actually beneficial to you economically. So I would say that other things in there would probably be things like Don't go necessarily out and just get a job. Create a business. Be an entrepreneur. Even if you get a job to get started, save your money. You know, Be smart with it. Penny saved is a penny earned. That is something I know Franklin said. And save up as much as you can to give yourself as much self-sufficiency as you can so that you can become more self-sufficient by controlling your own destiny. That's huge. Um, having and owning property. I'm back to the value of things there, but having and owning property is hugely Uh, in the direction of self-sufficiency. Renting an apartment is never going to be as self-sufficient as owning property outright, even if you have to pay property tax. I know Ben didn't. I, didn't, I don't think there were property taxes the way we see them today in the colonial times and in the, the early American Republic times. They, they were fighting to get rid of taxes, not put them in place. Uh, I think we've forgotten that to a large degree. But Even that, with that being said, if you have a thousand or two thousand dollars a year in property taxes, you can't rent anything for that anyway. So owning property outright is a huge way to be self-sufficient. Having that land be able to provide for you, huge way to be self-sufficient. Think about our survival needs. We need food, shelter, energy, security, and water. Those are our big ones. Well, if we own property, usually there's a structure, so there's our shelter. Energy is something that we've become spoiled with today. Gas and electricity and all that stuff. But if we have a house with at least a good fireplace in it, it's not a very efficient means of heating, but at least we can stay warm and at least we can cook. So that's our primary needs from energy. Food we can grow on the land. Hopefully we have land that has some sort of access to water, whether it be surface water or a well. And security is not just not getting shot in the back of the head or punched in the face. Security is also your security as a person. And when you're able to have property and define that property and say, this is mine, thou shalt stay out or thou shalt be shot in the face, right? then your security level increases, not just your security to not be harmed, but your security in life. So by being self-sufficient and ensuring our five survival needs, we ensure our security is a default. So the first four give us the, uh, the fifth. So these are all reasons that we would want to be as self-sufficient as possible. And uh, that was my take on that one. The next one, I'm a huge fan of the concept, invest in yourself. I investing in yourself is, is really a lot more than I think most people realize, though. To me, when we hear that, it's something our financial liars, uh, I hate to pick on the financial industry every time I get a chance, but I just, God, I just really, there are some good financial advisors out there. Most of the consumer level ones are crap. They really are. And, uh, the, you know, investing in yourself means take 10% of your pay, put it into your 401k. <laughs> you know, that's not, that's a, that's, that is a method of investing in yourself and paying yourself first and putting away money for a rainy day. And I'm sure Franklin meant that when he talked about investing himself. But to me, investing in yourself is so much bigger than saving some money. Money is finite. You'll only ever have so much of it. Money is self-limiting limiting because there will always be inflation. Whether I, Any modern economic system has always dealt with it on some level. Money is limited because it, having money only gets you what somebody else is willing to sell at some point in time. And when hard times come, people may tell you to keep your money. They'd rather have the stuff. So money is important, and God it is. 
It's how we pay for the property. It's how we buy the stuff that helps us become self-sufficient. It's how we provide security from ourselves from a financial standpoint. But it's one-dimensional. See, to me, investing in myself means what have I learned today? How much can I learn? That's why I love what I talked about in the beginning about myself, that I can remember stuff the way that I do. But I'm going to tell you something. I don't think it's a gift. Not in the way that most people mean it. Okay, the gifted child is the one, you hand them a cello, they've never seen a cello before, you show them how it works with the bow and the fingers, and all of a sudden, this beautiful symphony pours out of the cello, and that child instantly understands intuitively and feels, and it's almost like some kind of prior life coming through their fingers in a spiritual or ancestral connection that makes that art something they can just do. Because I wasn't born with that type of a memory. I'm going to tell you what, I, what got me that memory. If I found it interesting, I would read every single book, magazine, and listen to anybody talking about it I could find. I would drive my grandfather, my great uncles, everybody that might know about it crazy with questions. When that ran out, I'd go back to the life. No matter what it was, I would suck information up. When I got into marketing, sales, telecommunications, I learned everything. When I had downtime, when I couldn't get to a customer, I would learn about that customer's company. What are their initiatives? What are they doing? And that made me better at selling, which made me more money. Right? But it also, see, the, the years and years of doing things that didn't seem survival podcast related, that's why I can get on here today and I can talk to you about permaculture one day, finance and economics the next day, primitive skills the day after that, politics uh, the day after that, and then something like the lessons from one of our founders the next day. And then I can relate that back to all these things that seem disconnected. Because for years and years and years, from the time I was a little kid, and I'm talking six, seven years, when I learned to read, it was like, oh my God, I can get answers. And I've invested in myself with that. And when the internet came, I thought it was like the, the ultimate gift that I'd ever received. Especially once we got past the initial stages of crappy looking pages with spinning icons and stuff. When people started to put real content out and real news out and real information out. And when I wanted to know something on the keyboard and there it was. And I could look at that and I could use my life experience in combination with what I was looking at to know was I being bullshitted or not. And if I knew I was being bullshitted I could dig deeper and find more. And I think the opportunities ahead to invest in ourselves because of the internet, putting classes online, the fact that you can now take classes at Ivy League schools for free. You may not get the credit, but the credit and the degree is shit compared to what the actual knowledge is if the education is real. This is why I'm not so big on college degrees. I will tell you that the average college graduate that came to me looking for a job, I cared about 10% of what they learned, and the other 90% was a waste of their time and my time, because that, that person spent all their money and time on that 90%. I only cared about 10. So if somebody had taken just the classes that were applicable to me and learned the math and science behind programming, and I'm looking for a programmer, I don't care what their degree is. I care they've invested in that knowledge. So knowledge is key to investing yourself. Skills. What can you do? What can you, can you talk? Can you communicate? Can you sing? Can you, can you fight? Can you make a fire? Can you dig a garden? Can you grow food? Can you inspire others? Can you lead? Can you follow? Whatever it is, do it so you can do it better. That's investing in yourself to me. The money is nothing compared to the knowledge. I can take every penny you have by hook or crook tomorrow morning. But unless I damage your brain, I can't take your knowledge and your skills. And even if you're physically injured, many of your skills are still usable. And even if you can't do them, you can teach them the other. And that makes you have value. Invest in yourself by building the value in yourself as an individual. That's what that means to me. The next one. Surround yourself with friends who share your values. To me, this is still about almost investing in yourself. Let me tell you, all those years I just talked about where I was investing in myself and getting all that knowledge, I wasn't really a happy person. And I would always sit and think, why are you not happy? Why are you miserable? You're making a hundred grand plus a year. You have a company car. You live in, this is where we're living in Pennsylvania. You have this beautiful house. You can see for miles and miles and miles. You've got an acre of land. You've got your garden back. You've at least reconnected with some of your roots. You have a great kid. You have a great wife. You have great neighbors. Why are you miserable? And the answer was, because I'm spending the majority of my time when I'm not with my family with people who I do not share their values. 
I do not share their goals. I do not share their agendas. I would have to go take a rep to a consultant to spec in a piece of equipment simply because it was in our best interest. It didn't matter if the equipment was really the best piece of equipment for the job. It didn't matter if there were 20 other pieces of equipment that could do that job. Instead of going down to the engineering level and specking the job based on the needs, I was specking the job based on the financial intent of the overlords. That didn't share my values. I would have to go to business dinners and sit down and, yeah, eat a great big sirloin steak or a great big uh, uh, filet mignon and creme brulee for dessert and all that jazz. And all that did was add excess to my L's and make me fat. And sitting across from me would be a person I would have to kiss the ass of who if I had my druthers, I wouldn't want to shake the hand of. Now, I don't want to say everybody I dealt with was that kind of person. There were plenty of people from my past who I have great affinity with still today, I have great kinship with still today, and that do share my values. But there were enough people there that didn't, that I was forced by conditions and circumstance to spend my time with, that I wasn't spending my time with people that shared my values. Today, I believe part of why I'm happy is because I spend my lifetime now with my wife, who shares my values, with my family, who shares my values, and with you guys, who share my values. Even that we don't get together physically that much, it's the communication available today is huge, and I want more people to get together and share values. I'm thinking about doing this. You guys, I don't know how many people live here in the Hot Springs area, but there's a really cool German pub called the Brahas down in Hot Springs. I'm thinking about doing a once a month get together, have a few beers, meet up with people from the audience. If you would be interested in doing that, we can start doing it next month once I get New Hampshire off the table. Let me know as long as more than a couple people are going to show up. And hell, maybe if it's even a couple people, we'll still do it. I think that would be a great thing for people to get together and share values. But when you are with people that share your values, they also share your ambitions and your goals. And what happens is two minds are greater than one. Uh, I just had my old partner, Neil, up here for, for a couple days, uh, a couple weeks ago. And we're working on a new project together in a totally different relationship this time, right? Uh, a distance-bound relationship. And there's no uh, contractual obligations or anything from one side as an employee or anything like that. It's simply, here's a project we're going to do. Here's what I'm sticking in. Here's what you're sticking in. And the ability that we had in an hour, to do more than I could have done in 10 hours was unbelievable. Because we had shared values and ambitions. The same things are important to us. And I think if you want to invest in yourself, one of the best ways to do that, the prior principle, is to make sure that you're surrounding yourself with people that share your values. If you're a religious person, you'll find a lot of those people in your church. I'm going to say something's going to piss some people off, but it's true, though. In some instances, you'll find yourself in a church that you're going to for some reason, And the people there really don't share your values. If you're in a church where people look down on somebody because they only come once a month instead of every Sunday or something like that, and you find yourself thinking, that's not right, you're probably in the wrong place. Uh, or if they look down at people for any reason you would not, you're probably in the wrong place. Your, your values are not in, in concert and maybe you need a new home. And I'm not a church-going guy. But I don't care if it's a gun club or a social network or a church or a synagogue or a temple or whatever. If you really want to be happy in what you're doing, you need to find a place with common values. I think that is huge. The next one here, for those of you know, that know the roundabouts that I've gone with the asshole producer from uh, Doomsday Preppers, who's basically said, I'll give you the world, boy, if you just play ball with me, you're going to love this one. Don't compromise your integrity for money. So this is a guy that's given you eight pieces of advice here now that are designed to help you become financially successful. And one of his key pieces of advice is don't, don't sacrifice your integrity for money. If somebody rolls a wheelbarrow full of uh, money in front of you, they would make you wealthy overnight, but they ask you to do something that compromises your integrity, don't do it. And it makes me think of the conversation that I had with that guy, right? When he was telling me, you know, this and that, and he has to compromise integrity, and it's a real world, and it's not, you know, my, my response was, you know, once you've built a sustainable business, you never have to compromise your integrity ever again for the rest of your life. I may say things that you don't like. I may do things that you don't like. I may break the rules of society. At times, I might even bend a law or two. But what I won't do, what I will never do, 
is compromise my own code of ethics, my own morality, my own integrity ever, ever, ever again for the rest of my life. And I've determined that is the means to success because then people trust you. You might not agree with me, but you trust me. And those are two different things. You don't have to agree with me to trust me. When I say I think on this particular issue X, Y, and Z, and the information I have is A, B, and C, and my experience is, you know, one, two, three, you don't doubt me for a minute. You might doubt my interpretation. But when I say I did this, it worked, here's how it happened, uh, I bought this product, it worked, I bought this product, it was a piece of shit, whatever it is, you go, I believe him. And if you want good partners in business, they have to believe and trust you. If you want a following, they have to believe and trust you. If you want somebody to take a bullet for you, they have to trust you. If you want to go to war with somebody and not have them frag you or shoot you in the back, they got to trust you. They don't have to agree with you, but they have to trust you. And trust can only come from integrity. And if we ever get into a really bad situation, a true shit-hit-the-fan scenario, the people in society that aren't trusted will be outcast or done away with very, very quickly. And a lot of the people that write me letters about, you're not a real survivalist, I'm a real, I can do this and I'll shoot somebody and take what I want. And, and on and on and on, you idiots, go. You're screwed because you have no integrity. You have no integrity. What you're saying is I will take from my neighbor to feed myself, not when there's no other choice left, but at the first opportunity. And that means you have no integrity. The society that would hold together would be, we all get together, we all determine what we have and what we do not have. We all try to help each other, and we figure out how to go forward. Only people with integrity can, can function in there. The old quote that if men were angels, there would be no need of a state, could be no more important to comprehend in the absence of the state's support where law enforcement falls and anarchy rises. Anarchy can function only if the people within the anarchist society have integrity and trust in each other. And it can work, and it does work, and it requires that when someone rises up without that integrity, that they be immediately thrown out or done away with. And that might sound harsh, but it's how it works. And it's part, because that's true in the extreme, Imagine how true it actually is in the, the mainstream every day. So that integrity value is so critical, so important. I've had people make all kinds of insults and assertions about me, and I don't care. I really don't. When I was fat, I had people insult my weight. I'm like, if that's all you got, man, you know, more power to you. I've had people say, you know, you can't shoot as good as you. I don't care. I don't care. But when somebody says to me, you're a liar, those are fighting words. I literally want to pound the person's skull into the ground when I'm accused of lying. I disagree with you? Fine. You're being false. You're lying. You lack integrity. That is, that is crossing a, a threshold with me that I cannot stand because it's so important to me. And I'm going to tell you something that may be hard for people who are not yet financially successful or just, let's say, worldly as far as success. So, And that is that most successful people have immense integrity. And I think that we have a, a tendency to look at that, let's say, from the Occupy Wall Street view, and say most successful people are greedy, rich bastards. And, and that's so far from the truth, because those people are at a layer that does not apply to the common person. Those are the people that, from a financial standpoint, create and sell the currency into circulation. They are the overlords. They're the masters. They are not in the game as an equal. When I say most successful people have immense integrity, I'm talking about everybody from the guy that lives down the road from you that has two really nice cars, two really great kids, a really great backyard, his house is all fixed up, everything's paid for, and he has no debt, and he doesn't give a damn if he gets fired tomorrow because he's sitting on a big old bankroll of cash, his money is safe, and he's happy as he can be. But he's worth, you know, a few hundred thousand dollars, really, in, in, in cash. But he's got everything taken care of. And if he lost his job, he'd go to Walmart 
work as a greeter, and pay the bills until he figure out what he wants to do next. That man is highly successful, and I guarantee you he has extensive integrity or he wouldn't be there. And then I'm also talking about the guy that's worth five, six, ten, twenty million dollars that employs fifty, sixty, a hundred, a thousand people. That guy has integrity or he wouldn't be there. Now there are people that get into these situations without integrity, but they're not successful. And you say, well, how is a person worth five million or ten million or twenty million dollars not successful? If you're miserable, you're not successful. And those people always end up miserable. And usually end up losing what they have. Or if nothing else, they live long enough to see their children squander what they've built. Because they pass down the money without the integrity. And that's the truth. And people with integrity don't just build success, they build legacy. 220, 230 years later, some guy that admires them talks about them on a podcast. They build a legacy. They have family members who go forward and continue to do great things. They build legacies. Integrity begets legacy. So it's not just about, if you want to be financially successful, I think most of us would agree if our grandchildren are destitute after we're dead, we weren't very successful. Because it was only for us and only for a time, and it doesn't line up with our integrity. Integrity creates legacy, folks. Integrity is the most important thing you have. And it's why, sometimes you wonder why, This guy that's a modern survivalist so often tells you, build a business, create income for yourself, do it on the side, do whatever you have to do, get a blog, do something, build something, have something, because I'm going to tell you the truth. Most employers create systems where even if the owner has this integrity, the integrity finds its way out to the edges of the organization, and employees are designed to be, you're going to hate this word, used. That's what they're for. They're to be used. They're purchased as a commodity. They're put into a system. They're told to perform a function, and you use employees. That's why I won't have any anymore. That's why everything I do now, I do as a contractual relationship or a partnership. I'll contract with somebody to build a site for me. I'll bring somebody in as a partner to run a site for me. I will not ever have an employee again because I will not use anybody. I will not use anybody. And that's very unusual, and it's probably self-limiting in some ways, but it is about my integrity. And I'm not saying if you will have employees, you don't have integrity. There are amazing employers. There are amazing managers that will lie down and take a bullet for their people. When I managed employees, I did it. I had a, I had a partner walk in one day and say, look, the revenue growth is not there for the next 90 days. We're going to have a cash for shortfall. The only thing we can do to make this is certain cuts we're going to do with some benefits and stuff like that company-wide. But within your department, take 30% out of the cost of your department. 30%. I only had three people working for me. I was being paid a very high salary. I cut all of the expense out of my own salary. And that's integrity. Because I knew the people that I had, I was already getting at such a value that if I took anything from them, they would probably leave me. And I needed them more than they needed me. But it would have been easy to go to him and say, you know what, I'm taking the, the brunt of the hit, but you're all going to take something. The three of you collectively are going to take ten grand, so I can still make my house payment. But no, I took it all out. So, there, so don't think that I'm saying that there's something wrong with I'm just saying I've now evolved to a point where I don't have to do that anymore. And now my integrity dictates that, well, it's not necessarily wrong, but if you don't have to, then you don't do it. To me, integrity is what will, be, will give you a legacy that will make not just yourself successful, but those that you touch in your life successful. If my show only brings happiness and wealth to my family and to my child, and someday his child, I would still not consider myself successful. The only way that my show is a success is if it brings happiness and wealth into the lives of those who partake in this community. So that I'm passing something further down. Folks, that's integrity. I can't make that shit up. I know it sounds really, you know, kind of lottie daw, like, you know, but damn it, I care. And I care that way. And I think that a lot of people out there that are trying to be successful, whether it's with a podcast or a blog or a company, because they don't bring that level of integrity to it. And it's not they don't have the integrity. They don't even know that they can. They're not even aware that it's possible. They've been taught by life and society that that's not how business works. 
I'm telling you it's exactly how business works. It's exactly how personal finance works. It's exactly how community works. It's exactly how society needs to work to function when systems of support are not available. When the system isn't there to hold order, integrity is the only thing that will. Let's move on to the next one. Six, steady diligence is the way to wealth. Um, not sure what Franklin had in mind here, but my belief is simply that when you start doing something that is revolutionary or different or hasn't been done before or that you haven't done before and you're starting out from square one or you make a career shift and you move back before you can go forward, you're not going to get a lot of results from day one. But the cumulative effect over time, the, the, the results add up and the efficiency becomes greater and your skill becomes greater and eventually you don't just have lots of resources behind you, lots of revenue behind you, lots of experience behind you, you have lots of skill with you going forward. And it's only through this dogged determination that, damn it, I will make it work, that we succeed. It's also why I, I haven't really talked about this aspect on this show yet. I've talked about it at Five Minutes with Jack, my business show. And it's my belief is that the terminology of when life hands you lemonade, lemons make lemonade is loser language. Before I upset anybody, I'm going to tell you it's loser language for those that want a business, that those that want more in their lives. Because there's a point at which... If you're pounding your head into a wall and you're saying, I want to go forward, I want to go forward, and the wall won't give, it won't move, it won't yield, and you pick your head up for a second, you look around the doorway, and you realize the wall is 14 feet of rock, stop trying to go through the wall, walk through the door. Adapt, improvise, and overcome, but keep going forward. And when people say, when life hands you lemons, make lemonade, what they mean is the system has dictated the reality and I must accept the reality rather than change it. Right? So employees make a lot of lemonade throughout their day. Uh, the boss says he wants this report in by four. I'm going to have to work through lunch, but I'll listen to a podcast while I do it and I'll order in something I like and I'll make the best of a bad situation, even though I know that jerk doesn't need it till tomorrow. He's just doing this because he doesn't trust me enough that it will be here tomorrow if he doesn't meet me a deadline today. And then they make lemonade. Well, entrepreneurs don't do that. Entrepreneurs just change the rules. They just change the deadline. They change the output. They change whatever it is. Entrepreneurs throw the lemon away and drink wine or beer or mead. Or they make lemonade if they want lemonade, but they only do it when they want it. If that makes sense. And to me, it's steady diligence that gets you to the point where you, you take the bad and you do make lemonade for a while, but you're always looking to move forward. You're always looking to be free of constraint and free of being forced to do things you'd rather not do because that makes you miserable as a human being. And if you want wealth in your life, which again, we must say is more than just money, it's freedom then we have to be willing to work for it. We're basically born into life as a member of society, unless we're just gifted with wealth from our family, as a slave or an indentured servant. We get to be one of those two, and it's our choice. The slave will always be a slave. The slave will put into the retirement calculator what he expects to get from Social Security right up until the government goes completely bankrupt. The slave will listen to the idiot who comes in to explain his new 401k, who says, when you retire at 73 or maybe 78, you'll have you know X million dollars if you do this. And nod his head like a complete ignorant human cow. The slave is a cow. The slave sits there and nods its head. The slave likes to be led from one cubicle to the next. The slave doesn't even get upset when he's milked by the IRS. The human cattle is what I call people with a slave mentality that stay there from birth till death, cradle to grave, that it will always be this way. I'll always have a car payment. I'll always have a house payment. I'll always be that. And that is not the natural state of the human being. The natural state of the human being with steady diligence is being like a pig. Don't get insulted and don't take that the wrong way. If you take cattle and put them in a field, they'll almost never go feral until you completely take away everything that they need, and then they'll just wander, and you could easily bring them back into a herd just by giving them their needs again. Cattle only go feral, feral by circumstance, not by intent. If you put pigs in a pigsty, 
and you give them the opportunity to escape. The first opportunity, a pig will escape. That's why there's millions of feral hogs all over the United States and their population is growing and growing and growing. The, the, the next generation, the next generation of piglets will start to look like a wild pig. They'll start to turn black. In two or three generations, they'll look like a Russian boar right out of the, right out of the wilderness. They'll adapt to any situation. And they'll say, my state natively is freedom. I am not a domesticated animal. That's the human analogy. Some people like to be a cow. I'd rather be a pig. I know a lot of people take that as an insult. I don't. Because to me what it means is I want to be free. And here's the thing about that pig. Put him in a cage. And if you don't keep filling the hole, his steady due diligence will eventually dig a hole under that cage. And the minute that hole is open, as minute he can squeeze his little hams through that hole, he is gone, baby, gone. That's due diligence. That's the way to wealth. That's the way to success in life. Constantly seeking freedom by any means necessary, as long as it doesn't compromise your integrity. Number seven from old Ben, time is money. Um, I agree with that, but I agree with it maybe, I don't know, because I didn't read what Ben had to say on this. I agree with that in an inverse relationship. So what I mean by that is not only if I take time that I should be working and spend it screwing off, have I lost money, but if I put my life into a situation where I can spend my time screwing off and doing things that give me pleasure, that's as good as money. So it works both ways. And the due diligence, the, the, the staying the course is the early part of your walk of building towards that early semi-retirement or early retirement or early turning a hobby into a, a business or whatever it is for you. That's where I have to equate time and money with I have to be efficient and I have to work my ass off. But the whole point is so that one day I can turn around and go, well, today I spent eight hours doing nothing but things that made me happy. What's that worth to the average person? And it didn't cost me anything. That's, that's what time is money really means to me. Time is money also is, you know, we started out, I think the first one or the second one he said is understand the value of things. Let me, yeah, the first one was understand the value of things. Do, most people don't understand the value of your time. Listen to this right now. Tick, tick, tick. Those are about one second apart. Each one you just heard is one less second that you have. Imagine a huge hourglass. Huge hourglass full of sand. And the sand is running from the top to the bottom. And that sand is your life. For some of us, the glass is massive. And some, some of us, it's relatively small. We don't get to know. We don't get to see it. For some of us, we get to see it right at the end because the doctor gives us bad news. And then finally, finally, we go, oh, crap, this stuff's really, really valuable. Time is money. Time is value. Actually, I wouldn't say time is money. I would say that time is value. That is what modern lifestyle design is about. Understanding that time isn't money Ben and I have to disagree here, I guess. Maybe we agree. I don't know. But I just wouldn't use the term money. I'm never going to use that again. Just right now I had that epiphany. I will never use the term time is money ever again. From now on I will say time is value. What is the value of raising a child? What is the value of teaching a skill to another person? What is the value of using time to impact somebody's life so that they attain the same freedom that you do? What is the value of a beer a cigar, and a sunset, and a fishing pole. What is the value of that? To me, it's enormous. And to you, maybe the value is being on a mountain bike, you know, traveling through the trails in Colorado. To you, maybe the value is just taking a walk on a lakeshore. To you, maybe the value is donating your time to an orphan. I don't know what the value is to you. That's the whole point. That's why we can't say time is money. Because money is limiting. Money is... I'm jumping ahead, but it's the means to an end. That's the last tenant that Franklin has. Money is nothing but a symbol of energy exchanged based on an agreement between members of society. Money is limited. Money is finite. Value is infinite. And value is self-determined. I talk a lot about libertarian philosophy and libertarian politics on this show. 
But that's why it's so important. Because every minute of your life where you have to live under the conditions granted onto you by anybody else, whether it's an employer or a politician, is one minute you don't have to live your own way with. Education is important, but we should choose what we learn. Order is important, but we should choose how we contribute to the order of society. Generosity is important, but we should choose how we express our generosity, where we express our generosity, and by what means. That's what time is value means to me. Because again, tick, tick, tick. You will never get those seconds back. Make the most of them. I had a commander who when he left our company, and I didn't know this man well because like I came as a new soldier to the unit and like within a month he left, but he gave this speech that I've remembered, you know, we're going back 20 years now. And he said, men, one day you will die. And when you die, they will bury you in the ground or they will cremate you and put you into a box. But somewhere, someplace, somebody will probably get a stone or a plaque and put your name on it. There might be a fanciful saying Something kind of cool, something kind of that helps people remember you, a little sentence. But the reality is the thing that will be there for all of you is two numbers and a dash. There'll be the year you were born, the year you died, and in between those two years will be a dash, a hyphen. That hyphen is you. Do something with it. Never forgot it. Time is value. The last one might be the most important The accumulation of money is a means to an end. I really don't care about money that much. When you have some money, it's easy to say, I know. But the reality is, I'm not worried about the money. The money is the score in the game, right? Now, I want you to think about this. When two teams play in the Super Bowl, and the winner wins by three points, do they really care that they didn't win by 40 No, they care because they won. They get to hoist the trophy that says they are the best in the world at what they do over their head, and they get to be the champions for a year. And they get everything that comes with that. They don't care about the score. You care about the score right up until when? The last buzzer flies. That's it. The basketball either goes through the net or it bounces off the rim. After that, the score means nothing. Victory, reward. Loss, no reward. See, and that's what I think Franklin is trying to tell us here. Sure, becoming wealthy is great because it gives you this freedom to see your time for the value that it really has. It allows you to see the value of things. It allows you to have that steady diligence on your way to wealth because as you accumulate the money, you can keep doing what you really need to be doing and at least know the wolf's at bay at the door. It allows you to not compromise your integrity. It allows you the freedom to take time to surround yourself with friends who share your values. It allows you to invest in yourself by buying you the time to invest in yourself by acquiring knowledge. It grants you self-sufficiency. It allows for all the other principles that we're talking about today. But it's not about the score. If $50,000 does it for you in some way that you're so creative you can do that with, then it's enough. Because it's not about the money. It's what do you want to buy with the money and what do you want to insure with the money? What do you want to create with the money? What do you want to pass down with the money? And what do you want to pass on with the money? That's the entire purpose of wealth in the first place if you are in touch with what you are, being a real human being. A person who walks by another person who's fallen and has been injured and won't take the time to stop and render aid, that person is damaged. They're not just wrong. They're not just a jerk. They're damaged as an individual. They're damaged as a human being. They are a person that does not understand that time is value. They are a person that doesn't understand steady diligence. They are a person that doesn't understand their own integrity. They are living miles away from the path they're supposed to be on. They're not behaving like a human. Any person behaving in their natural state would stop and render aid to that fallen person. And the majority of people will. Because as damaged as society is, most people, that's still inside them. Imagine imagine a society where people actually became fully in touch with that component of themselves. Folks, 
someday you might have to build one with 50 or 60 people if things get bad enough. I hope not. I hope it doesn't come down to that. But that's what we should all be striving for in our own lives because to me, what really sums this all up is what I tell you every day. There's these huge problems out there. There's people doing stupid shit and you can't stop them. And if you choke them and say, stop, they swarm out like a little worm and get away and they keep doing it. Some of them are called Democrats and some of them are called Republicans. You know? Some of them are called bankers and investment bankers. And some of them are called all kinds of things, bad and good. But they're doing all kinds of stuff that we can only have this limited effect on. But right in front of you, right now, from your head to your toes and back, and in your immediate family, in your immediate community, in your household, that's what you control. That's what you control. So you focus on the individual liberty. You focus on the individual goal. You focus on your individual integrity. I don't care that Bob is an asshole. Are you behaving like one? If you are, stop it. Start behaving with integrity. Take care of your family. But he, you know, it's like little kids. But Johnny pushes, I don't care. I care what you did, Tommy. Right? I mean, that's, that's the society we're living in today where people are worried about what somebody else did more than what they do for themselves. What have you done for yourself today? That's not selfish. That's selfless. The selfish person says, it's everybody else's fault but mine, and I'm going to go out and make myself feel good by saying I do things to help other people. That's a very selfish way to live, actually. Because you actually don't impact anything, and you don't create anything, you don't do anything. The selfless person builds up through the accumulation of wealth by understanding the value of persistence Enough freedom so that they can actually do what they love. And that's the only time that you can really impact society for the good. Because that means that what you did goes beyond tomorrow. And beyond the next week. And beyond the next year. It's only when we're acting and behaving like what we're really supposed to be as human beings. That what we do has a timeline longer than a few hours. It's only in those moments. And even miserable people have them. But how many of them do you have? How many are you bankrolling? What's your karma factor in life? See, to me, the accumulation of money me is a means to an end is really saying, what kind of karmic value have you built in your life? What kind of influence? What kind of capital do you really have? Because when we look at capital, there's like eight layers of capital. There's social capital. How much influence do you have? There's, there's skill capital. What kind of skills and knowledge do you have? There's teaching capital, right? There's intrinsic worth capital. So the financial capital is only one component. When we add all the capital together, we get what would be like a karmic life quotient. And whether you believe in that spiritually or not, it's not what I'm talking about anyway. But how much have you done for yourself that's allowed you to do for others? Wealthy people, truly wealthy people, that's how they behave. That's how they become wealthy. That's how they become successful. That's how they become self-sufficient and self-reliant. That's how they end up with the 40 acres or the four acres, whatever it is that they want for themselves. Because one thing I'll tell you that most people in the survival niche won't is whatever you want is what you should have. Whatever you want is good enough. Your job as a survivalist is not to disappear off the edge of the earth. It's not to hide in a bunker. It's to build a lifestyle with enough self-sufficiency and self-reliance and independence and liberty in it that that lifestyle can be maintained when systems fail. That's real survival. That's what it's all about right here. That's what I think old Ben Franklin was trying to tell us. Now, maybe I'll actually read this article and find out. Maybe I'll do a part two of this, taking it on. Or maybe maybe Ben and I are so much in sync that if I read the article, it would have came out pretty much the same way. With that, folks, this has been Jack Spirico with another episode of the Survival Podcast, helping you figure out how to live that better life if times get tough, or even if they don't. Seeing our food these days, you know it's on our TVs. Sometimes we forget we are what we eat. I don't know the answer. It's like there's nothing I can do. It's the price we pay, I guess, when we follow all the rules. There's a better way to do this. 
Revolution.